Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Recalibrating the Scales. I'm your host and Chief Executive Resolutionist, Normia Vasquez-Scales, at your disposal. pandemic, remote controlled. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's a thrill and treasure to resume another fresh and thought-provoking episode yet again. Marsha Clark blazed the mic during a prior episode on the aforementioned topic with a plethora, rather, a complete wealth of titanium information, my dear listeners. Moreover, I divulge the findings yielded by research generously shared by my esteemed behind-the-scenes team, Bradley, and recited my most recent poem at that juncture for your aesthetic fancies. Case in point, I gently beckon you to tune in and explore that energetic broadcast at your earliest leisure, of course. Now, I'd already preached a sermon on the screen, on screen addiction, or as I refer to it as the enslavement pandemic, the screen enslavement pandemic, that is. However, I feel inclined to revisit this controversial topic with you yet again in light of recent events in my personal realm, events that I've had the uh, pleasure and privilege of bearing witness to firsthand. But beforehand, here's another rendition of technological enslavement, the modernized Jim Crow, an original work crafted by yours truly. Technological enslavement, the modernized Jim Crow, Is mankind presently thriving or faltering? In the matrix, that is. Is organic verbal concentration becoming a lost art comprised of sparse relics, none other than bearing the wardrobe of kindred antiquated souls, versed in virtuosos of the uttered, refined, and virginated word, oozing, pouring through unspoiled mouths, Are we becoming technologically obese given our gluttony, insatiable appetites for social media and their comrades? Has Hulu activated its voodoo or succumbed to the hypnotic trenches of one's call of duty, decimating the great flock of abusers partnering traditional play, aesthetic recreation, pawning Polished vernacular for macular degeneration, void of colorblindness, compounding the travesty at hand. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to explore the following thought-provoking interview questions. They're also posted on the episode page. Are we becoming technologically enslaved and obese, particularly pertaining to our youth, of course? Is technology the new universal Jim Crow in that context? not in the racial context, but otherwise. Has a modern age Frankenstein been erected? 
what solution can be implemented in regards to screen usage to alleviate the screen addiction pandemic and yield a sound equilibrium invoking all things balance? Of course, we have to bring it back to circle because that's what recalibrating the scales is all about. Okay, so let me go ahead and share some additional information with you. This is an article written by Anya Kamenetz, titled Screen Addiction Among Teens. Is there such a thing? I think we know the answer to that question. Look up from the screen right now. Take a look around on a bus, in a cafe, even at, the, at a spotlight. Chances are most of the other people in your line of sight are staring at their phones or other devices. And if they don't happen to have one, it is certainly tucked away in a pocket or bag. But are we truly addicted to technology? And what about our kids? It's a scary question and a big one for scientists right now. Still, while the debate rages on, some doctors and technologists are focusing on solutions. There is a fairly even split in the scientific community about whether, quote, tech addiction is a real thing, says Dr. Michael Bishop, who runs Summerland, which he calls a summer camp for screen overuse for teens. Dueling diagnoses. Technologically, pardon me, technological, technology addiction doesn't appear in the latest diagnostic and statistical manual, according to the DSM, uh, the fifth published in 2013. That's the Bible of the psychiatric profession in the United States. The closest it comes, ladies and gentlemen, is something called internet gaming disorder. And that's listed as a condition for further study, which is not an official diagnosis. So this omission is important, not only because it shapes therapists and doctors' understanding of their patients, but because without an official DSM code, it's harder to bill insurers for treatment of a specific issue. The World Health Organization has, by contrast, listed gaming disorder as a disorder due to an addictive behavior in the context uh, in the edition, next edition of the International Classification of Diseases, an internationally used diagnostic manual. Dr. Nicholas Carteris is the author of the 2016 book, Glow Kids, How Screen Addiction is Hijacking Our Kids. That's a word that I often use. When I ask him about the term addiction, he doesn't miss a beat. There are brain imaging studies of the effects of screen time, he, he notes, and he also has treated many teens who are so wrapped up in video games that they don't even get up to use the bathroom. Go figure. He says the evidence is clear, but we're not ready to face it. Hmm. We have, as a society, gone all in on tech, he says, so we don't want some buzz-killing truth-sayers telling us that the emperor has no clothes, and that the, that the devices that we've also fallen in love with can be a problem, especially for kids and their developing brains, he asks. Addiction may not be an official term in the U.S., at least not yet, but researchers and clinicians like Bishop who avoid using it, how convenient, are still concerned about some of the patterns of behavior they see. I came to this issue out of a place of deep Skepticism. Addicted to video games? Hmm? That can't be right, said Dr. Douglas Gentile at Iowa State University, who's been researching the effects of media on children for decades. But, he notes, quote, I've been forced by data to accept that it's a problem, he told me when I interviewed him for my book, The Art of Screen Time. 
Addiction to video games and internet, internet use de- defined as serious dysfunction in multiple aspects of your life that achieves clinical significance does seem to exist. Measuring problematic use. Gentile's definition doesn't address the questions of whether media can cause changes in your brain or create a true physical dependency. It also doesn't address the question raised by some of the, of the clinicians I've spoken with of whether media overuse is best thought of as a symptom of something else such as depression, anxiety, or ADHD. Gentile's definition simply asks whether someone's relationship to media is causing problems to the extent that the person would benefit from getting some help. Gentile was one of the co-authors of a study published in November of that year that tried to shed more light on that question. The study has the subtitle, A Parent Report Measure of Screen Media, Addiction, and Children. Note that the, the term addiction is in quotes here. At least it is here in the article. In the study, researchers asked parents of school-aged children to complete a questionnaire based on the criteria for internet gaming disorder. What a clever phrase. For example, it asks if their preferred media activity, is their preferred media activity the only thing that puts them in a good mood? Are they angry or otherwise unhappy when forced to unplug? Is their use using use increasing over time? Do they sneak around to use screens? Does it interfere with family activities, friendships, or school? And the experts I've talked to say the question of whether an adult or a child has a problem with technology can't be answered simply by measuring screen time. What matters most, this study suggests, is your relationship to it. And that requires looking at the full context of life. So treatment, seeking treatment. Though tech addiction isn't officially recognized, as they say once again here in the United States, there are inpatient treatment facilities for teens that try to address the problem. For his book, he interviewed a teenage boy who attended a wilderness therapy program in Utah called Outback. And the the young man notes, I started playing video games when I was around nine years old, said Griffin, whose last name I didn't use, he didn't use to protect his privacy. He chose email over a phone interview, ladies and gentlemen. And he notes, I played because I found it fun, but after a while, I played mostly because I preferred it over socializing and confronting my problems. After he spent weeks hiking through the wilderness, his mother saw a lot of improvement in in his demeanor and focus. However, Griffin came home to a reality where he still needed a laptop for high school and still used a smartphone to connect with friends. Bishop who runs therapeutic Summerlin camps in California and North Carolina, says the teens who come to him fall into two broad categories. They're the ones, overwhelmingly boys, my dear listeners, who spend so much time playing video games that, in his words, they fall behind in their social skills. Often they're battling depression or anxiety, or they may be on the autism spectrum. Then there's a group of mostly girls who misuse or overuse social media, They may be obsessed with taking selfies, Bishop calls them selfies, or they may have sent inappropriate pictures of themselves or bullied others online, regardless of the problem. We feel the issue is best conceptualized as a habit over an addiction, Bishop says. When teens think about their behavior as a habit, they're more empowered to change. Labeling someone as an addict is essentially saying he or she has a chronic disease, is a powerful move, and it may be especially dangerous for teens 
who are in the process of forming their identities, says Maya Slavovitz. Slavovitz is an addiction expert and the author of Unbroken Brain, a revolutionary new way of understanding addiction. Based on her experience with drug and alcohol addiction, she thinks grouping kids together who have problems with screens can be counterproductive. Young people with milder problems may learn more from their defiant peers, she says. For that reason, she would encourage families to start with individual or family counseling. Different habits demand different approaches to treatment, of course. People who have problematic relationships with alcohol, drugs, or gambling can choose abstinence, though it's far from easy. Those who are binge eaters, however, cannot. They must rebuild their relationships with food while continuing to eat every day. In today's world, technology may be more like food than it is like alcohol. Video games or social media media may be avoidable, but most students need to use computers for school assignments, to build tech skills for the workplace, and learn to combat distraction and procrastination as part of growing up. How can people, especially young people, forge healthier relationships with technology while continuing to use it every day? Some technologists believe that what has to happen is a change in the tech itself. So here's a a public health approach. Tristan Harris is the co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology, an organization dedicated to pushing for more humane technology. A former design ethicist at Google, he tells NPR Steve Inskeep, that he saw the tech industry turning towards something, quote, less and less about actually trying to benefit people and more and more about how do we keep people hooked. That goes back to the prior episode, ladies and gentlemen. In other words, as long as these companies make their money from advertising, they will have incentive to try to design products that maximize the time you spend using them, regardless of whether it makes your life better. Harris's solution is to pressure the industry to turn to new business models such as subscription services. We're trying to completely change the incentives away from addiction, and the way to do that is to change the business business model. Along with Common Sense Media, a nonprofit that offers parents research and resources on kids' media use, they're currently launching a Truth About Tech campaign that Harris compares to anti-smoking campaigns exposing the workings of big tobacco. So fighting tech with tech. For over a decade, Gabe Zickerman was a self-described cheerleader for what's called gamification. He consulted with the world's largest corporations and governments on how to make their products and policies as compelling as a video game. But he says, there was a moment I realized that things had gone too far. He was in a restaurant and looked around and saw literally everyone was looking at their phones. Zickerman started thinking about his family history and about his own relationship to technology. He realized that his work up to that point had been contributing to some serious social problems. Like Harris, he's concerned that in a world of ubiquitous and free content platform and device makers uh, make more money the more time you spend on screens. This, he says, results in a ton of compulsive behavior around everything from pornography to World of Warcraft, to Facebook, feeling, quote, partially responsible. Zickerman set out to create an anti-addiction app. It's called Onward. That's capital O-N-W-A-R-D. And it has a number of different features and approaches in both free and paid modes. It can simply monitor in the background and give you a report of your use 
which for some people, says Vickerman, is enough to motivate change, or it can share that report with someone else, say, a parent, for accountability. The app is rated for use by 13-year-olds and above. Or say you want to stop browsing Facebook during business hours. The paid mode of the app allows you to block Facebook, but it can also monitor in the background to try to predict when you might be about to surf there. The idea is that when the drink is in your hand, it's too late, says Zickerman. In that moment, the app serves up an intervention like a breathing exercise or an invitation to get in touch with a friend. Zickerman calls this a robot sitting on your shoulder, the angel of your good intention. The company has partnered with both UCLA Health and Columbia University Medical Center to research the efficacy of the app. And Zickerman says they plan to seek FDA approval as a digiceutical. <laughs> in essence, Zickerman is trying to gamify balance to keep score and offer people rewards for turning away from behavior that's become a problem. The word, quote, addiction may currently be attracting controversy, but you don't need a doctor's official pronouncement to work on putting the devices down more often or to encourage your kids to do so as well, ladies and gentlemen. So here's uh, some additional information. Nine signs of screen addiction in kids, and this is on, on um, found in Today's Parent, written by Jill Buckner. Think your child might be addicted to watching YouTube videos or playing video games? It's possible. Here's what you should watch for. Almost every parent stresses about how many hours their kids log on their tablet smartphone or TV each day, but according to a 2017 study, the amount of time a kid spends on a screen isn't actually as important as how dependent the, screen, the kid is on the screen. Spending too much time in front of a screen has been linked to a lack of sleep, speech delays, and poor social skills, but research out of the University of Michigan has found that the bigger issue is whether screen use causes problems in other areas of life or has become an all-consuming activity, says the study's lead author, Sarah Domoff, assistant professor of psychology at Central Michigan University. When this happens, it's considered screen addiction. I'll say it again. When this happens, it's considered screen addiction. The researchers developed a tool to measure screen addiction in kids ages 4 to 11. Classic signs of addiction include things like inability to stop using the substance, or when the use of that substance begins to interfere with your life and relationships. When it comes to kids and screens, the symptoms aren't all that different. Here are the red flags to watch for, my dear parents, that suggest that your kid might have a screen addiction. Number one, your child cannot control their screen use. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The researchers call this unsuccessful control when kids have trouble stopping using devices. If you try to impose limits on screen time, but your kiddo just couldn't deal, this could be an issue. I've seen it in action firsthand. Number two, loss of interest in other activities. If tablet time is the only thing that motivates your child, books, toys, and, and sports don't get them nearly as excited, they might be too invested in screen use. Number three, it preoccupies their thoughts. If even when your kid isn't playing video games, he's talking about Minecraft, wondering what his favorite YouTuber will, will post next, or acting out scenes from Angry Birds, this could be a sign of addiction. Number four, it interferes with socializing. Is your child bringing a phone to the dinner table? 
Sneaking peeks at his tablet while his grandmother tries to make conversation. When screens interfere with family activities, they could be problematic. Number five, screen use causes serious family problems. I'll say, have you had any blowout arguments incited by screen use? Hmm. Or behaviors, problems related to something they're watching? This could be a sign of an unhealthy relationships with screens, ladies and gentlemen. Your kids show signs of withdrawal. That's number six. When it's time to turn off the TV for bedtime or put mobile devices away for screen time, pardon me, for screen-free family time, and your kid gets frustrated, they may actually be experiencing withdrawal. Number seven, their tolerance is increasing. If your child used to watch 30 minutes of YouTube after school each day, but now she's advanced to even watching it on a phone on the way home from school, then her tolerance is on the rise. Number eight, they're deceptive about it. If your kiddo is sneaking a tablet into bed at night or lying about how long they've been playing a video game, this is a red flag, my dear listeners. Number nine, a screen is their mood booster. If your child comes home after a bad day at school and needs a TV show or game to make him feel better or offer an escape, researchers say it could be a sign of screen addiction. The study doesn't specify how many of these warning signs your kid has to exhibit to have an addiction, or what to do if they do. In fact, appear to have an addiction, but if your kid checks off more than a few of these boxes, then it might be time to reevaluate how screens are being used at home and to make an effort to wean your little ones off of screens before the dependency does evoke irrevocable damage. So, here are some strategies. Um, 10 strategies to stop your child's screen addiction. And these are, uh, were composed or, or by, um, this is from Healthy at UH. A generation ago, your parents worried about how much time you spent in front of the TV. Today, the chances are pretty good that your concern for your children extends beyond how many cartoons they're watching. Screen time is not just TV time, says pediatrician Lola McDavid, MD. Screen time is anything electronic your children can, can access. Your children may be using their screen time to text, play video games, watch TV shows and movies, and visit websites, chat rooms, and social media platforms such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and, and, Snapchat, and YouTube. Plugged in. Consider these statistics. The average 8 to 10-year-old spends nearly 8 hours a day on various media. The average teenager spends more than 11 hours a day on media. 75% of 12 to 17-year-olds own cell phones. The average teenager sends 34 text messages after going to bed. In the first three months of 2011, the average teenager sent 3,364 text messages per month. 71% hmm. of children and teenagers have TVs in their bedrooms, not ours. <laughs> 84% of children and teenagers have internet access. The result? A generation of youngsters so plugged in to electronic devices, cell phones, video games, computers, and TVs that they've tuned out the world around them. In other words, they're screen addicts. And like most addictions, this one can affect your child's health, emotional well-being, and safety. In addition to not getting enough sleep or exercise, screen addicts may have trouble forming meaningful face-to-face -face relationships and can potentially meet 
unsavory characters online who sell drugs or solicit sex. So how to reduce screen time? Parents can and must help pull the technology plug, Dr. McDavid says. She offers these 10 digital detox strategies. Devise a family media policy and stick to it. If kids abuse it, limit access to or take away cell phones, gaming devices, TVs, or tablets. Number two, learn how much time your child spends on social media and what she's viewing and her posting. Some children access pornography or intersex chat rooms, send nude photos to boyfriends and girlfriends, buy drugs, watch R-rated movies, cyberbully other kids, or get cyberbullied cyber themselves. Don't like your child's activity? Pull the plug or confiscate the device. Number three, convey that nothing online is secret. Teenagers don't realize that once you put it out there in that great beyond of media, it's out of your control, Dr. McDavid says. Adolescents don't live in the future, only in the present. So parents have to help with that. Number four, consider installing an app that disables cell phones while the car is running because accident rates increase when drivers are texting. Number five, remove TVs from children's bedrooms. Media bedroom, uh, bedroom TVs increase the risk for obesity, drug abuse, and exposure to sexual content. Forbid electronic devices at the dinner table? Yes. If everyone's looking at a cell phone, you're ne negating the positive aspects of eating meals together, she says. Put your own cell phone away and listen to your kids. Number seven, place desktop computers in the family room or other common area so you can monitor activity. Ban cell phones at bedtime, charge phones in the kitchen overnight so kids don't have access to them and can enjoy a full night's sleep. Don't give decked out phones to young children because it makes them a target for thieves and puts them at risk of physical harm. If you think your child needs a cell phone, consider purchasing an, inexpensive, me, an expensive flip phone. And number 10, review the cell phone bill carefully to identify red flags. Again, if necessary, limit or take away the device for a specified period. And additionally, if your child is under age two, screen time is a no-no, says Dr. McDavid. Yes. For children ages three to eight, limit screen time to no more than two hours a day. Me personally, I think that's being a bit liberal. Okay. So that was quite a bit of information to digest. But what I'd like to leave you with, my dear parents, that there's another scientific article that I'd like to post on, on the episode page. Um, I can give you the title of it, actually. Da, 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 da. You can bear with me. It's actually, um, it's actually Manhattan Neighbors for Safer Telecommunications. And this is titled, Screen Addiction and Harm Occurring to Developing Children. Okay. So I'll go ahead and post that one online. But what I'd like to convey before closing us out, ladies and gentlemen, this is something, this is, this is a topic that is my moral imperative. It is our moral imperative, okay, as parents, okay, to take the wheel. Parents, please bear in the forefront of your minds that you are your children's parents, not their friends. Despite the negative behaviors that they may exhibit in lieu of holding down the fort and establishing screen parameters, we have to do it. So regardless of how much they kick and scream, you and we, we are all in the driver's seat. I'd like to render 
my utmost gratitude, appreciation, and accolades to my behind-the-scenes team, Bradley, at this juncture, for their unwavering support, coupled with all of you magnifying listeners spanning and speckling the globe. This platform and movement rests upon your shoulders. Therefore, I humbly implore your continued listenership, as always. Until the next episode, this is Normia Vasquez-Scale, signing off.